Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we are joined here today by two of my favorite reoccurring guests. We got Andy Bellavia and Kat Penno. So why don't we go around the horn here real quick, reintroduce ourselves, share a little bit about who you are and what you do. We'll go start with you, Andy. Thanks. I love that around the horn. It's baseball season, isn't it? <laughs> it is. So uh, I'm Andy Bellavia. I'm Director of Market Development for Knowles Corp. And I'm responsible for all the in-ear products, which are not regulated hearing aids. So music earphones, musician in-ear monitors, hearable devices, a market I've been involved in since the beginning, like with Bragi and Doppler and to the present day. And I'm also a hearing aid user. So I've got a lot of experience as a customer of the audiology profession. Awesome. And Kat? Hey team, I'm Kat Penno. I am a clinical audiologist based in Perth, Western Australia. I run Hearing Collective, which is an online digital health solution platform for customers and also businesses. So it's a two-pronged approach. I see clients virtually predominantly. Uh, so telehealth consultations where I help people um, with any hearing issues or listening issues as well. And also the other approach is I consult to tech companies and not-for-profits to help them, uh, well, whole, whole gamut of things with them. I love it. Well, the last time we spoke was, I, I looked, it was October 23rd, uh, 2020. So about six months ago today, just a little bit less than six months. Um, but here we are again, and I kind of wanted to continue the conversation. And actually, Kat, it just kind of occurred to me that as you were introducing yourself, that's kind of the perfect segue um, in, into what we had left off with last time, which was all around kind of like service model innovation that's occurring right now in this industry, in the hearing healthcare industry. And I think that I really want to get into the hearing collective and, and really understand kind of like what it is. Like you said, that tele, telehealth consultation piece is obviously more relevant than ever. And you were you were thinking about this even before the pandemic. So it's not as if you're like this Johnny come lately and you're now like trying to latch onto it. You really did think about this being something that even pandemic aside would make sense. Um, and I thought maybe as a good way to, to really facilitate that conversation, can you share with us, we've talked about Blaney and Saunders before on this podcast, an Australian-based company, but we've never really gone into that much depth. And it's something that's often mentioned kind of anecdotally throughout conversations that I hear all the time. And I thought it might be helpful to really get an understanding of like what that company was pre-acquisition. And then can you kind of speak to why it's such an intriguing company? Happy to. Gosh, Blamey and Saunders, um, they were ahead, ahead of the game 10, 20 years, maybe even more such um, innovative and influential, influential um, individuals in our space. Um, Dr. Elaine Saunders and Peter, Dr. Uh, Peter Blamey uh, were the first that I'm aware of to go down the self-fit tele, telehealth consult path. So they had the device itself, which would conduct uh, the um, an AC or an air conduction screening uh, once you got the device. So look, 
sorry, I'll go back to the very beginning. They also, they developed many things. They also had a speech and noise recognition test, which was sensational, again, ahead of their time, because I think right now we focus a lot on the HEROX group and what they've done, but blaming Saunders, again, ahead of the time with um, with everything they developed, product and um, the software. So as let's look at it from the client point of view, you could hop online to the Blaming Saunders website and you could order the device. Now in Australia, hearing aids and um, medical grade devices, you can't just buy online. So the way their business model ran, uh, you order the device and it would get sent to one of their partner clinics. So they did partner with a lot of um, independent audiologists across Australia. And then um, you could pick them up from that clinic, I think, hang on just trying to think through my head because I feel like it was at uni when I was looking at them and that's a couple of years ago now folks so just bear with me no sorry that that's an error on my behalf so you could get the hearing devices sent to you directly and they also had in their head offices in Melbourne um, teleaudiologists so even though I feel like it's the norm for me and, that, and that's because I did my thesis in online service deliveries and I looked at Blamey and Saunders. These guys have been doing it for years. So they had teleaudiologists in their headquarters where me as a client could call up if I had any issues. Now, when I spoke to them, it was really interesting because, you know, you think you're an audiologist or so you're a healthcare professional. So you predominantly want to counsel and focus on the things you've learned at, at uni. But when I was talking to um, some of the team at Blamey and Saunders, they would, they would say, well, actually, we're also technicians because we're helping our clients connect hearing aids to their devices at home because Bluetooth wasn't as uh, a smooth user experience as it as now as it is now. We were helping them um, understand certain parts uh, over the telephone uh, because then virtual platforms were not as smooth as they are now as well. Um, so we'd be on the telephone with our clients a lot of the time our clients had hearing loss. So we'd be talking them through, like, how do you use devices, do these devices? How do you set them up? Then we'd walk them through the Bluetooth function of um, their laptop or the, the computer they were using. So it was actually um, a multifaceted headache. That's that's what I was, they were getting at with me and um, not as easy as it is now or more natural as it is now for our users to, uh, or our clients to get used to this hearing technology. Um, I think my understanding is they did run into a lot of problems along the way because their process was so far ahead of the future with healthcare that um, it, a lot of people did want to still see audiologists face-to-face. -face. So as part of their model, for example, I'm in Perth, if I'd bought these devices uh, every six weeks, they would send an audiologist almost doing a bit of a roadshow around Australia and offer appointments to clients to come in and do some troubleshooting and um support them with with their devices but clinically when I was in the clinic front we I did see a lot of clients come in who just loved that experience of having that ownership of buying and choosing the devices online and I, I'm going to hedge a bet and say that if they had started that model in their last couple of years it would have been doing uh, sensationally well given what's happened with the pandemic so um, I, ca I can't speak highly enough of of Damien Saunders and them being ahead of the game, uh, probably, uh, probably not talking about it well enough, but I think that gives you some insight. I think the product experience, the user experience, and even the just from point A to point B of testing and, and identifying a hearing loss or not was way ahead of their time. So I totally understand why Sonova wanted to come in and acquire that because they're probably seeing a shift in how we really need to deliver our services. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, what's really interesting about this is that like a lot of this seems obvious now. And again, I think 
that's very much because of the pandemic. Uh, and it's like to your point where now with Zoom, you know, and just the advancements, like I know Bluetooth is still frustrating, but it's leaps and bounds better than it used to be. Um, so it's to your point, like, I think they really were ahead of their time. What do you think was that? Um, I'm curious, like, what do you think was the, their initial rationale behind that service delivery model? Is it just because they felt that Australia is maybe a little bit more remote and so accessibility of these services had been difficult um, and that that was sort of the reason why they felt that we need to make this remotely uh, available? Absolutely. I think um, Dr. Elaine Saunders now is the chief innovation I'm going to get the title wrong, but she's some sort of innovation chief at one of the universities. And I think this is just in her nature and probably Peter's as well, Peter Blamey. Um, I don't know them personally, by the way, so I'm, I'm using their first names, but I apologize. I don't know them. Um, <laughs> I think they're just so ahead of, I just think they, they know how to innovate. I don't know how to describe it. I feel like it's just in their blood. Um, yes, Australia is very remote. So I definitely think they saw the opportunity there and they just like to push the status quo. I think they were fed up with the way um, hearing healthcare ha is delivered in the world. So I think the bigger vision was let's use the market we've got in Australia because very remote places, we've got a lot of desert and barren land and a lot of people do live remotely and rurally. Um, so it's pretty prime market to test in if we can iron out the kinks here then perhaps the bigger picture is that we can deliver these services to uh more third world countries yeah i mean andy i'll kick it over to you in a minute but i want to continue on this thread here with cat um so i think that the the reason i find this so interesting is that you clearly saw this too like i said before the pandemic before telehealth really i think became part of this overall psyche of like new ways that you can do this. Like it's been around for a while, but I think many people were sort of dismissive of it um, because we are creatures of habit in that, you know, I know at least in the U S uh, yeah, we well tend, said. We, you know, we tend to just sort of default to like, this is how it it's usually been. And, and so I'm curious, like with the hearing collective, um, can you share with us? I mean, like what this looks like in terms of some of these te telehealth consultations using these tools that we have in 2021, because in my mind, this is where my thought like process always kind of comes back to this is like, you know, this idea that um, being able to conduct these face-to-face -face consultations online seems really, really powerful and a huge new way to implement an entirely new facet into any clinic um, and, and just a, the ability to see so many more people than you previously have, not saying that it would necessarily need to cannibalize or you're just you know shifting all the in-person patients to this method. It just seems like it opens the door in a really, really big way, which coincides with this sort of like new you know, opening of this consumer market that's happening. So the two seem to be like really, really interconnected. And I'm curious, because again, just like Blamey Saunders was sort of on the forefront with this, it seems like you with the Hearing Collective are sort of on the forefront of the service delivery model innovation that I think we're going to kind of be feeling. So as somebody that's on the forefront, what are, what's it been like for you over the last, you know, I guess since you started it and then now into today when it's becoming a little bit more commonplace, I would imagine with, with the patients and kind of their overall mindset of how you conduct maybe a medical visit in today's times. Oh, thanks. That's, that's super cool to hear. Um, 
in my head, I'm always thinking, how can I do this better? What are the iterations? What's next? Um, I guess what I'm really trying to understand is our client's journey. And that that begins way before they even think about going to see someone in a clinic or, or virtually. And I was thinking about a recent client who came to me and she said, I, I'd really just like to tell you how I came about hearing collective and yourself. I said, that'd be great. And she said that another audiologist um, in a clinic had referred me in. Uh, so that makes me really happy because I, I don't know all the, all the audiologists in Perth, let alone Australia slash the world. So that makes me really happy that other people are we're collaborating in that sense because I guess the ownership is on the client and we don't think this is my client, that's it. And if I do come across a client that I can't um, support or help, then I always refer out and support them on that journey. So for me, my intent is to understand the client and what they really want out of hearing health um, and predominantly in the, in the really early stages. In saying that, I do have a lot of clients who come with um, moderate to severe hearing losses and sometimes worse and a lot of auditory processing referrals as well. Um, so I, I do try to help them where I can. But for me, it's uh, what I'm noticing is it's a lot of people uh, really want to understand themselves, what's available to them prior to going down the clinical path. Um, so it's about education, upskilling them in the tools that they might have or the technology that they do have and then supporting them with how to um, utilize it better and then and what to do next. So I also think about the hearing ecosystem. So for, there's a couple of things. So the user experience of the client journey, I think we have a very heavy focus on the clinical retail model. So for us, yes, I think people understand it happens. It, the journey starts before you come to the clinic but really when I look at the websites and the advertisement that it's out there, it, it's all the same. It's this very similar messaging. It's come to our clinic. We can help you. They use phrases like we've got this innovative technology in our clinic that can help you or online. Um, and it, it just isn't. And, I, and our clients are smarter than that. Uh, so we've got to give them that respect and guide them. I always think of um, Henry Ford's quote as well, though, uh, if he asked his clients what they wanted, they'd say faster horses and, you know, perhaps they don't know everything and that's fine. And that's our role is we can come in there and that's where Hearing Collective fits in. It's I can offer them a possible solution and help them down this path. And so over time, it was hard at the start. Um, and, and I didn't look at it as it, I looked at it as a natural progression in my career because I'd done my thesis on online service delivery and people were so comfortable doing their banking online, having apps for banking um, email, so many things that were personal to us were already online. So that's what, where I really saw healthcare going and that's really what's starting to add out. And I think in the next five years, it's going to be huge healthcare, um, virtual care data, all, all that is going to play really well. Um, and the current podcast you've done, Dave, have been so on point with how we're going to um, have these amazing use cases um, and especially as audiologists so what does our profession I just I get so excited about where we're going to be in the next five years but I do want to ask Andy have you had a virtual consult or a telehealth consult no I haven't actually before? my present audiologist uh, doesn't do it even today which amazes me to no end uh, you know like even a year ago I I told her if uh, you wanted a guinea pig you know who can tell you how the user experience goes on the remote and I'm your person uh, still not set up for it. There are actually two key things that I drew out of this part of the conversation. One, 
and uh, and I'll and I'll tell a related story. I just listened to it. It's an older podcast from a couple of years ago that Theodore Allow did with a person who started a company called Gogo Grandparent. And what Gogo Grandparent was is a way for people who weren't comfortable with you know internet based rideshare how they could get rides. And you know, so basically, you could call a phone number and they would arrange the rideshare for you. And the person who started the company said, we thought it was easy. You just take a phone number and, you know, arrange a ride and you were done. And they started to find out that there were layers to that customer's need. For example, an older person in an unfamiliar setting who's, you know, at some level of cognitive decline, if the car goes, you know, around the corner and doesn't stop directly in front of the place, you know, it can be unsettling. So they kind of supervise the car pick up, make sure you're in the car, make sure the ride's okay, have different options. They made it very simple. All you had to do when you called the number was press one. And that meant, you know, uh, pick up, pick up at your home and press two was pick up at the last place you dropped you off. All these different levels. And what it all came down to is they had to understand their customer's journey. And they came up with it. I mean, in the end, it's a pretty innovative model for servicing people with ride shares, especially Love in rural that. areas. Um, and uh, but also, you know, in the cities, too, where you may have a lot of Ubers, but they weren't comfortable using it. And so that's really what you described in your own company and uh, Blamey and Saunders as well, is understanding the whole customer journey. It's not just telehealth. If you want to talk to someone in person, you know, you have traveling audiologists riding the circuit so you could see one, right? They've thought through everything the customer needs. And I think that's brilliant for going forward. Now, apply that to a global model. You brought it up, right? Because how do you apply that model in developing countries? Because it isn't going to be just about devices. And the devices are coming. I mean, I think of Jakarta. Jakarta making the... Uh, the uh, partnership with Qualcomm means they can put hearing assist devices globally, affordable, easy to deliver, easy to set up, but they're still going to be part of that customer journey, which means, you know, some sort of whether remotely or in person, some sort of interaction with a person who helps them get set up. And so that sort of model is what's going to get hearing care in the rest of the world. I, I mean, we talk about the US all the time, uh, but we're such a small fraction of the global population and as underserved as we say we are in the US, I mean, globally, hearing care is probably the most underserved medical condition there is. And so what you described uh, in terms of, you know, service model and the technology that's coming will make it very possible for us to address that issue. And that's really exciting too. Oh, so well said, Andy. And I think I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years if we saw um, the companies and the, the hearing aid brands out there having uh, job titles like uh, service innovation officers or service innovation um, business managers, because that, that is the layer that a lot of a lot of these uh, product heavy uh, brands are, are sort of focused on. Um, I'm not trying to discount, I suppose, the services they do already offer, and it's a very uh, expensive model having the retail bricks and mortar model. But totally agree. The bigger picture, if we zoom out from these first world countries, is where else can we be having impact, and where else can we be contributing? Uh, well, to, to hearing loss and, and the, 
the epidemic that's coming there. I love too that um, I didn't even know that you, so, so this was your specialty or this is what you really focused on when you were in university, Cat was sort of like online. I mean, I knew, I knew um, the Hearing Collective, but I didn't know that this was like your big passion too in university. Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> I feel so uh, privileged and lucky to have been taught by Dr. Robert Patuzzi. He was um, super good at challenging the status quo. He was always saying hearing health for the greater good and him and uh, Dr. Helen Gullius, who were my two prominent lectures at the time, were just great at being like, why, why do you think like that? Like, let's zoom right out and look at the tools that are available and really focus there. So I was lucky that I got to do my thesis in that path and he was my supervisor. He really guided a lot of my thinking. At that time, I remember writing case studies on online.physio and Karen Finnan was, um, I think people were really surprised to see that I could find case studies outside certain health professions. Uh, physios predominantly people think it's so hands-on a lot a lot of manual manipulation but when I talk to my physio friends now and those physios that are at uni a lot of their uh, health care is rehabilitation and counseling so we as users or clients or patients need to do the work to get the outcome and they there's so many things across all healthcare professions we really are a coach or a supportive device or a guidance person where we, we can go and influence how our client will achieve these outcomes and, yes, how, how we can change these behaviours. That's what our role really is. And so I remember talking to Karen Finnan back in the day and her platform's exploded. She's got three or four other physios around the world working for her. She's also um, the chief something or other physio officer for uh, that what's a world-famous circus Cirque du Soleil, and so she, and and again, being ahead of her time, they they use her. She's based in Australia. Their headquarters based, I think, in Canada, and a lot of training happens in China. So she flies across the world heaps. But when the pandemic happened, she had a platform ready to go, and she could treat all the um, artists without um, having to to leave the comfort of her own home in remote uh, Melbourne or Victoria. So, yes, I'm super excited by it because I think it just gives our clients this extra bit of guidance. So when I have a lot of people come to me, various ages, um, they're, they're just really stoked or happy that they can engage prior to going to the clinic. So I use a, a combination of mediums. Telephone is a lot. Text is really popular. And then um, platforms like uh, Zoom as well. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities about how we utilize the resources and the tools that are available to us. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just brilliant because you said something too earlier that really stood out that was like, a lot of these people want to chat with me before they even come see me. And again, it's like, this makes so much sense to me. We've talked, I've mentioned this so many times in the podcast, the seven year gap, right? Or now it's like a 10 year gap. These are people that are, the they're very difficult in terms of getting those customers. Like the customer acquisition cost for these people are really, really high because you have to bombard them with tons and tons of marketing over years and years because a lot of them are wanting an excuse to say no because it's it's an uncomfortable sort of notion that you know it's connotated with old age and, and there's all the stigma that's associated with it right and so you know if you if you make it so that it's highly difficult to come and see you you're making it just that like i feel like that's at the root of the 7 year period. And so 
if maybe you make it that you just have a click to chat option or something like that, where it's just you. And, and I've talked about this before of like having somebody that's dedicated in your clinic and setting expectations. So it's only for a standard, you know, it's during work hours, but maybe it makes sense, you know, in the future to have somebody that's literally almost like the front office worker of the future is kind of like ready to have a consultation with them. And, and yeah, like the audiologist is probably too occupied to just be able to do this like ad hoc at any given moment. But I think that if this becomes widely enabled, I think it would be really, really powerful because a lot of the, what I think that initial skepticism and initial fear, you can alleviate some of that just by helping them to understand, look, I'm not, if you come in here, you don't have to walk out the door with, a pair of expensive hearing aids or, you know, whatever way that you want to position that you don't even have to talk about the cost or just, you know, I'm going to guide you through the whole reason that you come in is that I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to just really understand where your challenges are, because we know that everybody has a lot of different reasons as to why they're challenged in their day to day. And, and this is what really excites me. It's not necessarily to say that like the, face-to-face in-person visits going to just get completely cannibalized by online visits. I don't think that's the case at all, but I do think that you're, it's like to Andy's point, I think you're missing a massive opportunity here, just neglecting the opportunity of, of these online services to augment your practice in a way where, again, it's just maybe to help to put a face to a name so that they feel a little bit more comfortable with in a little, and you come across as a little bit more approachable. Totally. Um, the word that really jumps out in my mind as you summarized it there, Dave, is that what we are doing is we're dealing with people and when it comes to healthcare, people want trust. And I'm not saying that there's, um, we don't have that in hearing health. Um, I think in, in healthcare in general, people want to trust the provider that they're going to see. And so how you build that trust is key. And, and for me, understanding what the client wants and how they want their services or their products to work that's what I'm always thinking of when I'm talking to people and when I'm thinking about hearing collective and where I want it to go. And, you know, I wish there were three of me exactly so that I could do three different things at the same time, because yeah, only so many hours in the day and family life and balancing all that sort of stuff, you know, eats into it. But um, I totally agree with you. There is a huge opportunity there. And I think um, audiologists are really, really starting to, to catch on to that, which really makes me excited on Clubhouse. There's some outstanding odds on there that are doing their thing. You know, Dr. Cliff Olson, who's been around for years now, and I love what he does. And just more and more people coming out of the woodworks, feeling more confident that they can utilize the tools that are available to put them in the best position and offer these services along the way. Yeah, it's it's interesting you talked about trust, but I, I think there's a key difference because in with medical doctors, you usually build up trust over time. You have a practice you go to, or you have a family practitioner that you go to, you get your routine exams. If something comes up, you've worked with them. So you build that trust up over time. Whereas with audiologists, you, you don't normally meet an audiologist and go through your own personal life cycle with an audiologist. It's only when you have a problem that you have to go seek one out. So there's kind of a, a bigger hurdle to jump because now you already have an issue, an issue you may not have come to terms with, an issue you may be uncomfortable with because of the stigma. And you now have to go find somebody you never met before and share with them. 
right? You didn't have a chance. You didn't have 10 physicals of a routine nature before you had a health issue, you know? So you, you have to jump the trust hurdle up front. You don't build that relationship over time. And so I think that's what's difficult in the present practice. Now, if audiologists get involved sooner in your hearing journey, then you have a chance to build up that trust. But at the moment, it's a bit, it's a more difficult proposition, I think. I, I agree with you to a certain extent, but, um, well, largely I disagree with you. I'll, I won't lie. I just, I agree with the comments you made in the medico sense, hundred percent agree. But, um, as an audiologist, I view myself as an allied health professional. Um, so I think of myself, uh, where trust is, is key when I'm dealing with people, I want to give them that trust and show them that they can trust me. But, um, very different in that sense where you have your family physician or GP that, like you said, you share your life history with them almost ins and out because they walk beside you. Um, but it, it'd be the same as if you go to a physio or a speech pathologist or a dietitian um, from the allied health professional point of view, it's almost like we wait as um, the human behavior shows us that we wait and we wait, we sort of cope with our ailments. If I've got a bit of a sore back, I'll wait. If I've got a bit of a mild hearing loss, I'll wait. And then when I can't cope, Oh, I better go see the physio for that, that solution or oh, yes, I better go see the audiologist for that healthcare solution or the cure, I think is what a lot of our clients are thinking. Um, so I think it's the point there I'm trying to make is that there's a large educational component that is missing from allied health professionals to the to the greater population. So the knowledge translation, we all know there's all research about and devices earlier on can help with your social uh, your social connection, um, reduction of cognitive decline, et cetera. But does does our client know that? And, and they don't until you, they come into the appointment and then you bombard them with all this awesome information we know. So I, I totally agree with David. The opportunity lies before clients come into the clinic and how we do that and then how we support them on their hearing life journey is is the is the gap in the market that I currently see existing. Yeah. And that's, we're really saying the same thing. It's not that you have a harder time establishing trust. It's that people, people have to make that leap in the first place. I mean, even when you talk about specialists in the medical community, you're usually referred by your family practitioner. So there's kind of a lower barrier, right? I mean, the stigma factor of hearing health creates a barrier, which is I mean, it is a barrier, otherwise people wouldn't wait seven or 10 years. Um, I think you hit on a point, we could have an entire podcast on this and maybe get Nick Reed as another guest. And that's, that's the treatment of hearing health in the medical community, right? Hearing health is a second-class ailment in the medical community right now. And, and I know that the medical community, at least in the States, demands a high standard of proof that untreated hearing losses cause those comorbidities. And until they do, hearing health will not be addressed in the medical community. And I think that is a real shame. And I mean, I go to my doctor and he'll talk to me for an hour about my cholesterol, right? Never once would he have ever asked me about my hearing, you know, even the very basic stuff, right? And that, that to me is the big gap that needs solving. And I think in time in various places it will, but that's a totally different subject altogether, I think. Oh, totally agree. Um, 
could between the three of us we solve the issue of hearing healthcare <laughs> um, and people accessing our services sooner maybe uh, i wanted to sort of go left wing here and talk about a few things or just hear your points of view on a few things that i thought th- think that you know uh, it's in the market and it's happening and it's really interesting uh in regards to service delivery model so first of all spotify Spotify's platform have always been about the user experience and they've acquired a lot of businesses along the way uh, in the audio space, so music predominantly and now podcasts. And now, uh, and, and as part of that, you've got the free model and then the subscription or the premium model that you can sign up for. And then additional to this software that they've got available, they've started to have a product. So I like this idea of them doing it in reverse to how our industry has done it, even though it's not comparing like apples for apples, oranges for oranges. I just think it's an interesting area because the focus is on audio content and therefore how does the hearing professional perhaps sit there? And the next one, and I haven't read up too much about this, but is Microsoft acquiring nuance and how voice technology will really play into this space. So I suppose David and Andy can talk about, you can both talk about that from your points of view. Sure. Yeah, no, lots of thoughts on both those companies. I think um, Spotify is like, I think the one of the most interesting companies in the world right now. And actually you hit the nail on the head of as to why, because they really are seeming to kind of go software and it's like an inverted thing where now they're kind of going into hardware. And I'm not sure if yeah. it's going to be experimental or if it's going to actually be a thing. But here's the fact of the matter is that, you know, there was a, what, something that I've came across not long ago was um, one of the execs from Sirius XM, he went, it was in one of these like, you know, um, company earnings reports or something like that. But what I'm getting at here is he referred to what's, what he referred to as an audio day and in, you know, basically like what you fill throughout your day. Um, when you're passively consuming audio and, you know, the, the Daniel Eck 2019 post audio first, right after they bought Gimlet and spot, uh, Gimlet and anchor is actually really, really important to understand what's going on at Spotify, because it's, it very much ties into this idea of an audio day. And this is something that I've been kind of trying to communicate in the webinars that I've been doing and some of the different podcasts and stuff like that is, this, this notion that it starts with podcasts and it starts with music, but it's graduating into different facets of your audio day. And a lot of this stuff's totally novel. Social audio being probably the best example of that didn't really exist. And now it's like this really hot button thing. Um, and maybe it will fizzle out. I'm not sure. But the fact of the matter is, is that, again, it goes back to Daniel X notion where he's, you know, comparing the video and the advertising industry it's, you know, very visual and he's like comparing it to the radio and the, the music industry. And it's a 10th of the video industry. And he's like, are our eyes really 10 times more worth 10 times more than our ears. And I think that's a really fascinating thing to think about because it just really ties into this notion. Like if Spotify is just going to continue to sort of try to find more ways to occupy that passive day, and then they get into hardware, um, they have, I think, a really interesting opportunity as to how to curate that day. And, you know, so over time, you think about they're going to be introducing these new verticals of content consumption, and then they have a piece of hardware that's specifically tailored to that type of audio consumption. Now you kind of see this roundabout way as to how they might enter into the market in a really differentiated fashion. 
And you think about like, you know, again, something we've talked about before on the podcast, which is like the multiple hearables thesis, right? Where you have, maybe you have hearing aids, maybe you have AirPods, right? Those are my general purpose devices that I wear throughout the day. And then I have some specialty things. Steve Jobs, remember he, the way that he used to speak about the Mac right after he introduced the iPhone was he said, we'll always have the Mac because the Mac is like a truck and trucks do specialty heavy duty lifting that, that cars can't do. And the phone is like the car. And I think that there's a lot of parallels along that same line where it's like in the world of hearables, I think that we're going to have cars kind of akin to iPhones. And then we're going to have trucks. Like we're going to have these specialty devices, whether it be something like a hearing augmentation where it's designed to be this, you know, new hair IQ buds or whatever that might be, where it really, really specializes on a specific use case, or it could be something like the Spotify earbuds that I wear for all of this like passive content consumption. And sure, some of the other hardware devices might be able to still, you know, tether into that ecosystem and play a lot of that content and stuff like that, but it might not be designed ground up for it. And that's what I think is so interesting about this space is that there's going to be so much specialization, in my opinion, around these different use cases, because it's all built off this premise of like, we are moving in this future where we're all going to be wearing things for extended periods of times for lots of different things. And I think that the hardware is going to largely be designed around those different things and specialized in, in certain ways. Yeah. And I think that's specially applicable to hearables, right? I don't necessarily think I'm going to put a different smart speaker in my house for every audio path I want to enjoy. Uh, and even hearables, right? I mean, I had that conversation with Brett Kinsella on one of his clubhouse sessions just where exactly is Spotify going with hardware when their interface with Google Assistant and uh, Amazon Alexa is actually pretty good. I can do a, a high degree of control of Spotify all through Google Assistant. But his, his premise was ultimately uh, you're relying on Google Assistant or Alexa to pass on your intent to Spotify. And you may not be able to do the highest level things. So if I want to discern and be able to deliver more intuitively the things I think you want to listen to, then I need to run the whole experience. And that if it doesn't require dedicated hardware, at least requires a dedicated wake. Right. Yes. And so then, you know, Brett speculated it eventually and hardware wise, it's true because even Knowles has hardware that can do it today. You can run two or three different wake words. So within your hearables, I could wake up Google Assistant I could wake up Spotify. And if I wake up Spotify, I'm channeled directly into Spotify and I get their voice experience. Whereas of course, when I want the weather, I don't ask Spotify, right? I say, I can't do it here. You know, I ask the assistant for, uh, for the weather and I get it. And so, you know, so there may not be ultimately a true hardware play for them, but at least inserting themselves into the hardware for direct access to the experience. Oh, man, super excited. I'm getting goosebumps at where we can go <laughs> as a health professional in this area. When I think about Spotify um, releasing that piece of hardware, it made me really think that they really are trying to understand the client from the other point of view or the other end as well. So usually, like you said, Dave, they do it in, they've done it in an inverse fashion where they've been able to capitalize upon the SaaS model straight away without having any hardware there. So software first got the clients and now they're like, okay, well, what's next? How can you make this user experience better? So I think even if, I think it's just going to be smoother 
transitioning from how smart speaker to car thing. So they're probably going to have a, a smart speaker as well down the track. That's a total guess. <laughs> or but the, Or I, they'll partner with somebody, you know, they might. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that I could totally see. I talked about this with Brett Kinsella, who we just mentioned uh, the, the rebel Alliance, you know, where, I think it would be so cool if Spotify banded together with Sonos and they did a really tight vertical integration there where it's the, the Sonos play one or the, you know, their portable speaker, maybe earbuds down the line where it's like Sonos has the expertise in the hardware. And rather than partner with one of the Fang companies, one of these gigantic tech conglomerates, I guess partner with one of the ones that will eventually become gigantic. But the point remains is that I, I do think that what's it's it's just a really interesting thing. And and it actually transcends like just the consumer market into things that we're even seeing in, in this market. I mean, I thought that the something that's like really flying under the radar that I think is is potentially really big is going off of the conversation we have with Giles, Andy, with uh Chattable and Newpool, you know, like again, there's gonna be some really funky things that I think we see enter into the market, like Newpool. Um, on the surface looks like, wow, that's kind of, that's a really different thing. I've never seen that before. But when you think about it, all it is, is it's a, it's a dongle that you plug into the, you know, the, the, the adapter into the smartphone. And then it's like this and it's running Chattable's app. And so you think about, again, a world full of like these in the ear devices that everybody's wearing. If you have this dedicated piece of hardware that is all designed around this, like you know, zero latency AI processor that allows for you to have like amazing conversations. If again, if your biggest challenge is speech and noise and like in the conference room or at the dinner table, and maybe you're not ready for that general solution just yet, maybe something intermediary like that. Like these are kind of like those like assistive listening devices of today um, that are really, I think, interesting. And again, a lot of it is like this software that's now kind of like being it's again the inversion of like software or an app that then becomes hardware kind of like Jacody. Jacody was an app and then now being embedded in the qcc 5100 or whatever the qualcomm chip is called it's going to be everywhere you know so it i just think it's like it's kind of a bigger theme which is like that it's this software that's now it starts as software and then it becomes hardware yeah, this is these are all the the technologies I think of as hearing version two. Yeah, which is not just a hearing aid that does amplification and some compression and you know some other things like that, right? I mean the the Nupal the Nupal, uh, uh device is actually really interesting, especially with chattable software in it. It's kind of like I don't remember the exact name, but what's the name of the round Roger mic uh, that Phonak has? It's, it's like the Roger table mic, I think. Yeah, the right. The, the hockey puck looking yep. one, right? Because it's got multiple microphones and it'll home in on the person that's speaking and then stream it to your hearing aids. Uh, I haven't tried it, but the premise is quite sound. Well, you have the consumer version of that with Nubal, right? The purpose of that hardware is that multiple mics that can uh, home in on the speaker and then stream it with low latency to earbuds, right? I love that as an entry point for people who have... Uh, you know, a difficult time hearing in loud situations and, but, you know, are still doing okay at home. That's a place where people can enter their hearing journey sooner. And as all of these technologies proliferate, this is where I think the professional can enter someone's hearing journey sooner. Over time, consumers will be more willing to have a consult to help sort all the different technologies out and you know get the get the advice uh, in the uh, setup from a professional 
to get them on that journey when they're still at that stage of, I can't, you know, here in a crowded room, but I'm okay when I'm at home. What do you think? That That's exactly what I do. A large portion of my time is helping uh, individuals navigate potential resources to help them in their in their working environment in the office when they go out for um, dinners, social social events. That's, that's exactly, yeah, nail on the head. I think there's definitely an opportunity for an app to come in where you can almost put in uh, your listing issues and then it spits out here are some possible solutions and this is where you can go to get them. I definitely think that that's, yeah, exactly, exactly what I do at the moment. It sounds um, like a pretty lucrative idea, honestly. I yeah, like that. Yeah. Well, but not th- a bad this, one. Is, this is, <laughs> this is interesting though, because it does definitely go and it's obviously you, you do this. So it's not as if it's like, we just came up with this brand new way to go about doing your business. But I do think that it speaks to this theme, which is like complexity is rising, but, but it offers the opportunity to, to understand that. And then you can then distill it down in a meaningful way. And like, this is where I think everything is going to lie in terms of the value proposition is going to be around the matching of under, you know, like, And again, it goes all the way back to the beginning of what we were talking about, where it's like, enable your services, make your services so accessible through the remote element of things. So that again, kind of to what we were saying before, you get ahead of like before they, a lot of that hesitancy that they have before they come and see you. And so you can start to alleviate it that way. But the other thing that I think you can do in that is you can kind of like do, you know, if you kind of standardize that in some fashion where it's like a Q&A kind of thing where it's like, I'm going to ask you a series of questions or there's a, a brochure that I'm going to send you and then it's going to, you're going to fill it out online and send it back to me so that you can gather some of that information. And then you're really equipped to have that conversation when they come in. I'm sure a lot of this is what you're already doing, but it seems like writ large, this is kind of where things are going, or at least this is a really viable path forward is like, you really understand what what's the assessment um, before the real assessment. And then it helps to you to kind of like steer the conversation along to all these different things. And I think like, as there is this just hyper-connected world where there's just so many different things that you need to pair into and all this different stuff, I think like making that world as simple as possible will just scream value for your patients. Absolutely. And Andy, I wanted to know, do you, are there any, what's your eco, what's your hearing ecosystem look like? What tools and resources do you use from the product end through to the software application end? Yeah. And that's been an interesting part of the journey as I've more or less, you know, kind of mentally thought to myself, okay, well, where, where's, what's most difficult for me now? What's most difficult for me now? and just kind of working on solutions for those things, which is where I think the audiologist can really add value instead of people trying to have to figure it out themselves. So obviously I got hearing aids, you know, this was two and a half years ago. And, you know, that was 80% of the issue. And the thing, the, the key thing I noticed right away was how much less fatigued I am, especially I got them before the pandemic and I would go do conferences do an all-day conference in China where people are speaking English with, you know, varied levels of accents and, you know, and you're hearing impaired. And so you're now, you're really like your brain is in overdrive, just trying to understand what the person's saying. By the end of those days, I would be just exhausted. And the first thing I noticed when I got my hearing aids was I am a lot less exhausted now 
right? A lot more energy. And so it's kind of a Pareto. So awesome. what was what was next um, was the listening experience. Um, and so now I practically do everything through my hearing aids, podcasts, not music so much. I'll use an equalizer and a good set of in-ear monitors if I really want to listen to music because the quality is better. But phone calls through the hearing aids, podcasts through the hearing aids, you know, uh, I do clubhouse, you know, I have an iPad. I use the iPad for clubhouse and their stream, the audio stream through my hearing aids. That was like the next level. And then the next level was the television. So when my, when the rest of my family would watch TV, even with my hearing aids in, it was still not perfect picking up through the TV speakers. And I would juggle the hearing aid settings to get it better. And finally I'm like, I should just go get one of those TV connectors. And I actually did, of course, uh, you know, being who I am, I went on eBay and bought a used one <laughs> but <laughs> for a fraction of the price. Love it. And I put 3D. it in the TV and I'm thinking, this is amazing. The volume, I, I use the optical connector and the optical output is completely independent from the speaker output. So I have my own volume control for the television and I can mix it in, okay? Because with, with my hearing aids, I can vary the mix between real audio and streaming audio. So I could just put in a little bit of boost from the TV connector, but still have perfect conversations with the people around me while I'm watching. And that was brilliant. Love it. Uh, TV, TV watching is much more relaxing. And not only that, but the way, the way our home is laid out, the kitchen's on one end and there's a dining area. Then there's a family room where the TV is. I can be washing up the dishes and, you know, the TV is on the other end of the house but I'm listening to the audio through the hearing aids, right? <laughs> or if I'm watching at night when everybody else has gone to bed, I can mute the volume of the TV and uh, listen to the TV. So that was the next one. And then I, I do a lot of Zoom meetings, you know, in my life, in my working life. And the, the Bluetooth through the computer was always a little wonky. So I would phone call in the audio, but use the screen but the latency can get strange. And so, you know, it wasn't the ideal solution. Then I came up with the idea of plugging the TV connector into the computer. That's what I've got going now. The microphone input is my lav mic and the microphone output goes through the TV connector to my hearing aids, which is much lower latency than Bluetooth and a lot less power consuming as well. And so that makes Zoom meetings way, way easier to do. And I guess the, the last one was actually probably the first one was mask mode. Um, I asked my audiologist if she had a mask mode setting. No, I don't. Well, so I made one because I can, you know, I can save custom settings for my hearing aids. And I've actually helped other people with the mask mode too. It really works to just kind of put that little bit of trouble boost in there to account for the muffleness of a mask. And to me, all of these things are low hanging fruit. Lots of people are doing Zoom meetings now. Practically everybody watches television. You know, what's the best way to make audio streaming and phone calls most, you know, most audible, least stressful? These are all things I think a lot of users have in common and that I think are low hanging fruit for forward thinking audiologists as part of lifestyle enhancement beyond just the basic hearing setup. Oh, I love I love your experience and your journey that you've just described then and, and totally agree. Um, I love this phase too, as you both call it, in, into the hearing health space. And that's exactly what when I go 
to talk to uh, when I go lecture at university. That's what I educate our um, master's students on that. Yes, there's a very healthcare and clinical component, but we've also, once we've done that portion, the diagnostic testing and the hearing aid fittings, we've got to add that value continuously throughout everybody's life cycle. It's not good enough anymore to say, yeah, come back in for an annual review or a six month review. It's this continuous support about how they can have this amazing listening and audio experience with, with um, well, personalized care really uh, for, for the hearing life journey. Yeah. And, and, and that's really how I've come to think of it. I didn't understand that in the beginning either, but you know, the hearing experience has many facets and the more of those you, you, the more of those that you make as good as possible for the customer, the better their lifestyle is. I'm not finding the right words here, right? But, but it's not just about hearing through the hearing aid mics. It's all the other things a customer does. If you can enhance their hearing experience in those different scenarios, you've elevated their lifestyle tremendously. And, and I think, I mean, I'm on the younger end of hearing aid wearer, so I might be a little bit out front on this stuff, but I think there's, you know, there, it's really like the storm's coming because 10 years from now, when, you know, a bigger cohort of digitally connected or digital natives enter the market for hearing, they're going to want those things. They, they, they know, you know their lifestyle is already geared around uh, digital connection and audio and audio interaction. And it'll be, you know, social audio next, everything. And they're going to demand that those things be considered as part of their hearing journey from the beginning. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I'm curious, Kat, as we kind of come to the close here. So 10 years out from now, we're going to have a lot more digitally connected patients. But if you're already teaching at uni with some of these different premises in mind, like what's the reaction of some of these younger aspiring audiologists. I'm sure they get this, but I'm curious, like what's been, um, what, what's, what's like your overall sort of general, uh, I don't know, consensus of like where that they're going with the professional side of this. Yeah. Awesome question. So I lectured this year and, um, excuse me, they, I felt like I was coming in and I was blindsiding everyone. The feedback I got immediately at the end of the lecture was that, whoa, we've never heard that point of view of audiology before. And I think that's why uh, the clinical director gets me to come in every year is, is to give my take on what's happening in, in the, the hearing technology space, us as a profession and uh, how, as an audiologist, where else we can add value besides uh, the traditional uh, clinical front. Yeah, that, that's the impression I got. Uh, one student was like, whoa, we, we've, I've never even been able to con- conceptualise what you've just said and it's totally blown me off my mind. So, and, and she's a PhD candidate as well, so it was really cool to hear and made me feel excited that I could come in and just give a refreshing point of view. You, you, that, that's an assumption that you think that the cohorts uh, coming through would be really connected and mm-hmm. really onto it. But what we get taught at university is a very traditional uh, pathway of, of hearing care. And that's cool and, and, and totally needs to be there. But we also yeah, do need to be, bring in speakers, I suppose, who, who say, look, you can do it this way if you want. And it's totally viable because the reality is what happens at the end of the day when a large chunk of what we do clinically becomes automated 
what 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 do you really do then and are we being trained and supported to to use those skills in the new age of healthcare that's really starting to surface isn't isn't that what lena kaiman said uh that she spends less time because the fitting is easier and easier so she spends less time fitting and more time doing other related functions yeah. to holistic hearing care. Do I have yeah. that right? That was your discussion awesome. with her. Yeah, yeah. No, it was one of the most, um, that really stood out in my mind too. Like I was like, whoa, that's really interesting. She may, she basically said that, you know, in today's fitting process, because you can sort of get to, you can sort of calibrate them more efficiently than you had been able to, you know, in years prior, just through advancements in the software technology of the, you know, the fitting process more or less, that you've sort of gained this efficiency and this surplus of time. And that was my question too, is like, well, okay, so what does that mean? Are these just shorter visits or is there an element of this that we've been talking about that you can sort of use that time for? And to Kat's point, you know, this is, I think, going to be like, the, this is going to be the reoccurring question that goes on across the next, because I've asked this to so many different people that are seasoned professionals in this field. And there's lots of really good answers. You know, Kim Cavett will say double down on audiology and, you know, just go in and really go back to the roots of audiology. I've heard people say, you know, specialize in vestibular or whatever kind of ancillary offering and really kind of own that in your market. Um, but I think it's going to be a combination of them all, but at the end of the day, you know, people like Kat are, it's so fascinating, you know, to just kind of hear her journey. Like I said, I met her long ago before the pandemic when she started the Hearing Collective and now the Hearing Collective looks brilliant. You know, I thought, I thought it looked brilliant from the start, but now it's like hindsight's 2020, but it's like this, I think the, the, the fact of the matter is that you have to challenge the status quo because the status quo is being just it's being impacted on every element and every side and you go around and there's all kinds of venture capitalists that are looking to get into this industry, lots of private equity looking to kind of vertically integrate things. And, and so the fact of the matter is like the, there's blood in the water, the sharks are circling. And so the, the audiologist, yes. the audiologist, I think the, the thing that they have that is impossible to replicate is like themselves is their experience and their expertise and their knowledge. And, and so I think that it's all about like owning your domain. And so it's a matter of like, what is the domain and, and what, and are there ways to expand the domain into maybe non-traditional things that we, that, that haven't really been considered the scope of, of this particular medical field. I think that a lot of different medical professionals are grappling with this right now as just like the overall healthcare ecosystem changes and evolves. So I don't think it's that unique to this industry per se. I think that it's part of a much, much larger thing that's happening where it's patient-centered care. The patient expectations are way different than they were before. It's, you know, people are way more proactive than they were before. You just have much more intelligent customers, patients, whatever you want to call them. I mean, the internet is like undefeated at <laughs> whether it's good or bad and in, at informing people's opinions. So a lot's changing, but I think that there's a lot that you can do to kind of arm yourself to really stand out in your market and in your, in your particular specialty. Yeah. So well said, <laughs> I really appreciate this discussion today. It's been so great as usual.
Yeah, no, absolutely. This is, uh, like I said, we, we talked six months ago, so it's so good to, to chat with you too. I love these conversations that we have and, um, just so thought provoking and, you know, it's like whatever's kind of happening in, in the moment, you know, we'll look back on it and, and, and I'm sure, you know, three, four, five, six months from now, when we do another one of these, there'll be a whole bunch of new stuff that we want to talk about. So this has been an awesome conversation. Oh, absolutely. Um, Andy, any closing thoughts from you? Oh, yeah. Kat, I always love talking to you. I really appreciate the conversation. I love what you're doing. I mean, you're, you're, you're really thinking about where audiology is heading and putting into practice. And I really love that. I'm just sorry you live on the opposite end of the world because, you know, it, we could have these conversations casually over a beer on a Friday night, you know, if it didn't take me 24 hours to get there. <laughs> but, oh, man, but, I totally agree. But thanks for the conversation today. I really appreciate it. And Dave, yeah, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, oh, I love your insights, both of you. It's just such a refreshing point of view. Um, I don't see myself being uh, at the forefront, maybe a thought leader, because when I go to university and I get slapped in the face, being told that this is a whole new way to look at our industry, I, I feel it's really important to educate on, on that point or that there's a difference, there's a different way we can be doing what we're doing. Um, I think it's important that you have people out there doing exactly what we're doing, having these discussions so that future um, healthcare professionals can come to this episode or, or these sort of podcasts and go, okay, if I want to do things differently, I can. And we've sort of given them that permission and that platform because we're already trying to, we're doing things, we're making mistakes and we're learning from that. And I think that builds confidence. And by having these conversations, I think people go, awesome, I can do it too. So in summary, yeah, we've sort of spoken about um, the blaming Saunders models, the SAS model. Um, Spotify and how they're doing it in the inverse manner and he's really given us some really great insights into the client experience at the end and how hearing healthcare looked in phase one and phase two and what what's to come next um, and I'm, I'm sort of giving that the professional point of view and I'm really excited to see where audiologists go in the next in the next five years and ten and beyond. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dave. No problem at all. No, this has been awesome. And I agree, Andy, that was a, that, that was a really, really good, we need to like extrapolate that piece there because I think that's highly, highly informative, but uh, agree with you two both. Great conversation. Love it as always. Um, and I hope that there are some people listening that, you know, this sparks some, some creative thoughts in their mind or that maybe they're pushing back and they're in their, you know, challenging us in, in their own minds right now and reach out if that's the case. I'd love to hear from you. Um, but thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.